Welcome to the Consume Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Fully Surrendered, by Pastor Matthew Pallant. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consume Church, you can check us out at theconsumechurch.com. I love it when the body comes together without talking beforehand and releases everything unified. You know, Paula and I got together before service today and I started sharing what God had been speaking to me about today. She just opened up her notes and said, yeah, that's where I was going too. Then Alan gets up and shares a word and it's right in line and right there. So um, just honored to be a part of this body, honored to be a part of the kingdom of God globally and uh, to see how God puts things together and children, his children that are listening to him. Uh, It's like a puzzle. And when the pieces all come together and we're able to see his kingdom come, it's a great thing. Amen. So uh, I've got a couple trees to cut down before I get into my message. You remember Pastor John said uh, yesterday that oftentimes, or not yesterday, last Sunday, um, Prophets come to uh, comfort the afflicted, but also afflict the comforted. So uh, there's just some things I want to talk about. You know, first thing is, uh, it should be a slide, but the kingdom coming is a reformation of life the way we know it. If we allow his kingdom to come daily into our life, we will live in revival and be reformed. I'll say it again. The kingdom coming is a reformation of life the way we know it. If we allow, if we allow his kingdom to come daily into our life, we will live in revival and be reformed. How many of you want to live in revival? How many of you, let me ask you this first. How many of you have experienced true revival, whether it be Toronto, whether it be Brownsville, uh, or others. How many of you have, have experienced revival at some level? Yeah? I know there were many here. I'm just not originally from DFW, but I know there were many fires burning here, I believe, in the early or mid-80s. Um, wild revival um, services. Yeah, it's... It, it's a reformation, right? I want to live in revival. I've been to Toronto. I've been a part of uh, different little, I don't want to call them little, but revival outbreaks uh, on smaller scales in Mexico that, you know, we're, we're praying for people and we're seeing pe- people uh, instantaneously healed about 80% of the time in our services. N- not just, I believe by faith I received and go. That's good too, but I'm talking about verifiable miracles, legs growing out, tumors disappearing. Um, uh, I forget what type of cancer it was, but a cancer dissolving, um, mute speaking, all these things. I've experienced it, and I want it. Uh, When I first got saved, I was a part of a church, and I thank God for the church. But as I kind of grew in leadership and got to hang out with some of the leaders and worship pastors and different things, 
uh, one New Year's Eve, we were at somebody's house having kind of like a New Year's Eve service, and they had some music going on that I, it's not worship, it's not Christian worship at least, it might be worship to something or someone, but not the God of the Bible. And, you know, I looked at his laptop, and in his iTunes, it was like explicit, 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 all the way down the list. And this was one of the worship pastors of, of a very big church that was having about seven services a weekend, not here in DFW. Um, but, and I asked him, I said, man, I said, what's going on with, with, with your playlist? He says, man, I'm not in church. This isn't Sunday. That hurt. You know, I had come out of a lifestyle where that uh, music was more than just something to bob your head to. That was a lifestyle that I was living at the time, uh, just before I got saved. And, and I positioned myself in a way when I saw, this will date me a little bit, but when I saw these things on MTV and BET of these, these rappers and the lifestyles they were living, that was uh, a dream, so to speak, that I had. I said, well, if I don't need to go work a 40-hour week, if I can sell drugs and have these cars and girls and money and all these things. So I did those things, and that was a lifestyle that I lived. So when I came to the church, I didn't want, uh, I, I didn't want to come in the door just enough to get saved. You see, I knew that I needed to be radically transformed, and I was radically transformed in my salvation experience. And, and I didn't want to just come and play church. Because that was... Uh, <laughs> In other words, what I told some people in that time was, if this is all there is, is pretending and playing church on Sunday, I'm going back. I'm not playing. And what I want to challenge you today, church, challenge myself, is are we playing church? Have we gotten so comfortable in what we do on Sunday mornings that we just come in, slide in, Half an hour past worship. Sit for half the worship. Sit for the message and run out. You see, because the kingdom coming is a reformation. It's going to reform, the, it's going to reform life as we know it. And if we allow the kingdom to come daily into our life, we will live in revival and be re reformed. I, I, I'm not trying to make this about me, but I just, I, I don't know how to give a, a testimony or an experience without referring to some of the things I've experienced. My wife and I, mainly her, both of us, have sacrificed too much for this to be pretend. We've given too much for this just to be a Sunday thing. We've put our lives on the line in Mexico, literally living in an active war zone under martial law doing different ministry stuff in Africa and Kenya, Uganda, South Sudan. We've sacrificed too much time, energy, money, our whole life. Everything we know it as a married couple has been positioned for this gospel. We've sacrificed, we've lost, we've sown, we've had tears, we've also reaped. And there's also been great times of joy. But it's been a sacrifice. There's lots of other things we could be doing. The only reason we're in DFW is because we fully surrendered to the gospel. This is not my choice, but I willingly accept the assignment. So what I'm challenging the church is, what really lit it was last week. 
Pastor John preached a message last week, and I believe many people miss the opportunity to get healing and freedom from something that's kept them in bondage for decades. Now, I pray that many of you took that anointing that was in this room and went home and mourned and took the message that was preached and the anointing that it was preached in and mourned in that moment and allowed the Lord to heal you. But all we could do as leadership, as staff, of elders, of friends, is, is talk about how powerful it was last week that there was a bubble that just didn't pop. And my thought is we've gotten too comfortable. We just want to come and check the box on Sunday. We're here. We're present. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. Going back home. If we're going to grow in God, there's work that we have to do. There's work that we have to do. I, I started taking this course, and uh, it, it's, it's part of a family reformation project, project essentially, to um, restore the family back to God's design. And when I began this course, the leaders of the course kept saying, you know, this is work. If you do the work, you're going to see the breakthrough. If, you're gonna do the, if you do the work, you're going to see the breakthrough. And I began saying, how much work can it be? You're going to give me some assignments. Do the assignments. I'll show up to class. But by week two, I realized this is work. It, it, it's not just an assignment, but it's, it's inviting me and asking me to take what I'm learning and implement it in my family each week. And I don't know, by week two or week three, I saw a humongous breakthrough in my relationship with my wife. Now, we didn't, I wouldn't, we, I wouldn't say we had a problem, necessarily. But communication, connection wasn't exactly where I thought it should be. Can I be transparent from the microphone for a minute? I don't want to do my relationship with my wife the way many people do church on Sunday. You see, if, if, if there's not real connection, if I'm not aware of what's really going on, I'm just pretending. I did that long, long time before I knew Christ. I don't want to do it while I know Christ. So the importance of doing the work, it was work. It, it took intentional time and energy and effort to do the work. It wasn't necessarily hard. It just required time and energy and effort. Uh, this week, Paula posted something on Facebook, and it uh, reaffirmed what I was sensing. <clears throat> she said, and I asked if I could use this before I did. She said, it can be exhausting, but I've never regretted putting in work. I think the best thing I ever did in my adult life was start digging deep and asking myself, why am I the way I am? And do things the way I do. It takes a ton of work and intentionality, but getting to know yourself on a deeper level will help you thrive. I think that's a word for us, church. Not just our personal lives, although yes, our personal lives, 
our marriages, our relationship with our kids, but also our relationship with God. We're in a new year. Great time to start. Great time to start focusing. Any time's a great time. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just going to ride on the January thing while we still got it. Although I did see something that by January 19th, most people's New, Year res- New Year's resolutions have already stopped. They've already stopped doing their New Year's resolutions three days ago. So what I want to invite you into, if I can just, a couple things, but if I can just say this one. On Sunday mornings when you come in here, position your heart in a way Come with expectation that I'm going to receive something that's going to transform me. We're called consumed. It's not just a catchy name. Pastor John's heart, the elder's heart, staff's heart is to truly be consumed by him, to be transformed. I think catch the fire is to be transformed uh, in God's presence and give it away, something along those lines. So, It's all in line, but if we want him to consume us, we have to be willing to open our hearts as the worship led us in. Open our hearts and allow him to search us. Be sensitive enough to realize there's some things that just aren't right. I could have went on with, you know, my relationship with Shawnee. We didn't have fires burning. We weren't yelling and screaming at each other or, None of that. It was all just like you see it. Decent. But it wasn't what I wanted. I knew there was more available. I knew there was a deeper level of connection and a deeper level of intimacy to walk with her in. And I feel the same way about walking with God. There's a deeper level of intimacy and there's a deeper level of knowing him that we can walk in. But we need to want it. We need to want it. want it like our next breath. Amen? I know in the context of Christian living, many don't like the word work, but there's a lot of scripture that talks about it. You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind takes work. To think the way God thinks and not think the way the world thinks takes work. Um... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's, there's scriptures. It, we're, we're not, church, we're not talking about salvation. I, 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 I want to believe that we've graduated above the thought of desiring just to know God so we can get saved. I, I, I want to believe that in this body we've come to a place of maturity where it's more than just about getting into heaven and not going to hell where it's really about producing fruit and living in the kingdom, being transformed so we can fulfill everything that he's called us to do. If you're going to grow in God, it requires sacrifice and intentional time and energy put towards your growth and development. Not just one time or one season, but for a lifetime. Amen? Jesus didn't preach heaven or hell. 
Jesus didn't preach grace or works. He didn't preach principles of self-help. He, pre- he preached the kingdom of God and the fact that it was at hand. And he was teaching people the way his kingdom operates in order to restore the earth to the way it was created in Genesis. That's the focus. He was teaching people the way his kingdom operates in order to restore the earth to the way it was created in Genesis. And you know what? That's our job. Might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but... Our job is to manifest heaven on earth every day. That's what we've been called to do. Part of that will be getting people saved and bringing them into the kingdom of God. But our job is to manifest heaven on earth every day. Amen? You guys all right with that? So for today's message... Yeah, becoming a son of God is not, is, is not about going to heaven one day, but it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to bring heaven to earth every day. So today's message is continuing on in Pastor John's series, or our series as a church, The Blessed Life. And I'm calling today Fully Surrendered. It's going to be out of Matthew 5.5. Continuing on in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How many of you have read the Beatitudes, heard the Beatitudes preached, but can honestly say you never really knew what meek meant? I guess just me. You know, I heard... Statements like meekness is not weakness, meekness is power, or, uh, me- is power under control. And I quoted that lots of times. But I never really understood what the word meant. I didn't understand the context. So meek in the Greek is praus. means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. Meekness biblically is understood as allowing God to be in control. This is the aspects of meekness that I never understood before, or never just didn't know. Understood as allowing God to be in control. It does not mean that you are weak or spineless. It means your strength is now under somebody else's authority. Meekness is when you are strong enough to surrender control of your life over to God. Another way of explaining this is, uh, say, the taming of a wild animal. If you were to take a stallion, a wild stallion, it's a powerful horse, running wild, and you were to take that horse and break it and train it and bring it to a place where the, the, the rider now has control of the horse and the way that in which it would go. You teach it to obey the commands of the rider. You would now say that horse is tame. 
that animal is now weak. Now, or not weak, I'm sorry, meek. That animal is not weak. It's just as powerful as it, as it always has been. But that power is just now under control of the rider. You know, I think a lot of times in Christian, maybe not a lot of times, but sometimes, or we've seen some, maybe we've been some, that try to control everything. You know, it's funny. With technology and the way things are now, we have the ability to control things. I can turn my lights in my house on or off right now. I can make them change all types of colors. Whether it be my front porch lights, my front door lights, my stairwell lights, the lights upstairs. I can just click a few buttons from right here, right now. Make my lights do whatever I want. I can do the same thing with my TV. Turn the TV off. I can change the channels. I can write from my phone. You know, and there's, there's other things. We live in a time and a culture that kind of makes control easy. I can push a few buttons and get a few things done. I no longer need to go to the bank. I can transfer money online. I can do all these things. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But there's a part of us that wants to control everything. That's not meekness. There's one who should be in control of our lives. I'm going to step on another toe or tip over another holy cow. You know, there's a statement, God is in control. And I've always struggled with that statement. I really have. I've really struggled with that statement. As in Mozambique and Roland Baker would just, every message, 50 times, God is in control. And I just, it just didn't settle right. And I don't necessarily have this fully developed and fully thought out, but where I've landed on is God is, I believe God is in control. This is just me. I believe God is in control of the believer that is fully surrendered and fully submitted to him. See, if God was really in control, why do all these bad things happen? Uh, and I get it. There's, there's, you know, the fall. There's the curse. There's, but I believe if I fully surrender and I fully submit my life to God, he will lead me and guide me. He will always have me at the right place at the right time. I will not fall into the traps and snares of the enemy. So there's one that we must give control, and that's where meekness comes in. That is our full surrender, our full trust, our full reliance on the creator of the universe. And it comes with a promise. It also comes with a cost. The cost of your life. And that's what he requires. It's not bad. It's actually really, really good. His plan is much better than ours. It truly is. So let's look at Luke 19. Verses 11 through 27. It's a big portion of scripture. I was just going to read 
couple of the verses that kind of point out uh, about inheritance. So remember, the first part is, is uh, of, Ma- of where we're looking at is Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'll just read it. Verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent delegation after him saying, We will not have this man reign over us. It's a very key part of this, at least the context of Matthew 5. We will not have another man, or we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then he came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept. Put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. I'm not going into all of that. The context of what I want to, to express is there's something that I don't fully understand about the life to come, and that is that that does involve our inheritance. I don't know, I personally don't understand the needing to rule and reign in the kingdom that's coming. But what I do know is his word says it, right? We're, we're, we're not looking to go away, but we're looking to heaven that's coming here. And if we'll be faithful, if we'll be a good steward of what's been entrusted to us here and now on earth, we will also have inheritance and rule with him in the life to come. You know, there's a part of the already and the not yet tied into this. I can share a testimony from Africa um, along these lines. So, I'm pushing against, in the meekness, I'm pushing against the the overbearing, the need, the desire, the want to control everything. Can any of you agree that you can see 
at least some level of that in your life that, hey, God, let me say it this way. Abraham said, I will, uh, God said to Abraham, go to the land I will show you, and Abraham went. He didn't say, well, show me first and then I'll go. He, he, there's a level of full surrender, not a level, that, that is being fully surrendered. When we look at Christ on the cross, he said, is, is there, if there's any other way for this to pass, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, those are examples of meekness, of, of someone that is fully surrendered, that, is, that does not need to know the final outcome, that does not need to know all they need is a word from the Lord. At first, it's kind of scary to live in that place. It really is. When Shani and I left for Mexico, we had, uh, thankfully, we had no debt. We had no monthly support. We had no churches behind us. We had about $1,000 cash. And the Lord said, go. We took that $1,000 cash and got my little 1999 Toyota Tacoma and drove from South Florida to Mexico. Quit our jobs, left everything we know. Prayed and believed God that 99 Tacoma with 180-something thousand miles would make it to Mexico. Had no other plan in place. You know, and my dad, who's um, a great blessing, but... um, very set up financially. He was very wise, you know, wouldn't necessarily proclaim to um, know Christ. He calls himself the Jew in the pew at church. Um, but he, he's, he, he, set, he set himself up financially very well. He, he was very uh, cautious in the way he did things with finances and really set himself up. So me and Shawnee living our life the way we do, where we don't have the answers other than God said, he'll provide, he'll show us. So when, I, when we left to Mexico, right before we left, my dad said, listen, when you get there and things don't work out, just call me, I'll send you some money, I'll get you back over here, we'll get you, get you going in life again until you find a job. And I said, Lord, for no other reason, as a testimony to my dad, please let us make this, let this work out. So what I'm telling you, th- those are examples of just going, of not knowing how. And it, it's scary is what I'm saying. It, it's scary. And now with four kids, thankfully we've got trajectory of his faithfulness proven and shown to us that we hold on to that in tough times and tough seasons. Um, but if we never started back there in a safer place, per se, you know, or it's just me and her, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, bungee jumping onto a trampoline or something. If the rope breaks, you hit the trampoline, you'll be all right. It's not falling down a cliff type thing. You know, but that's how, that's how the Lord, that's how the leading of the Lord works, where he will lead you in a way, uh, in the beginning at least, there's a little bit of safety net. And the longer and the deeper and the further you go with God, uh, I feel like, this is not, maybe not good theology, but I feel like 
that safety net is kind of slowly pulled away and the risk is, uh, in a sense, greater. But there's also a place where you get walking so far out on the water that looking back at the shore, you, you've gone to past the point of no return. Looking back at the shore, you, you can't go back to the shore. It's not an option. You just got to keep your eyes on the Lord and keep walking. So I started to talk about Africa a little bit. and uh, About 11 days after I got married, I left for my first trip to Africa without Shawnee. No honeymoon. Uh, the trip was planned before I knew I was getting married. Shawnee and I didn't have long engagement. We never dated. And uh, it's just a wild testimony. But when you're fully surrendered, when you're fully submitted, I guess those things happen. So I went to Africa 11 days. That was my first trip. We started ministering to pastors and leaders and doing different things. Um, In my first trip, I'd stay in a bigger city where there was a hotel, Eldoret. And uh, I know Alan's getting ready to go to Kenya here soon. So we flew into Nairobi and then into Eldoret. And uh, we did most of our ministry there in Eldoret. You know, Eldoret's a bigger city. It has a small airport, has hotels, restaurants, things like that. So we started there, or I started there. I say we because although she wasn't physically with me, we went together. It was her support that enabled that. A couple months later, I went back again. A couple months later, I went for three months without her uh, to Uganda. And then, so part of that testimony is those first three trips, I was with a ministry that I've shared about previously um, that was a discipleship ministry, but it was very... Uh, overbearing, very controlling. You did what the man of God said. You didn't do anything else. You didn't ask any questions because that's always a form of rebellion. So I was sent in those ways, but he also passed on that same control to the pastors in Kenya. That doesn't work well with anybody, but especially those people that have been oppressed and uh, violated for so many years. So they would lie and kind of shift and just, you could never get the real picture of what was really going on. I'm going somewhere with this. So, after a period of time, I left that ministry, and uh, Shani and I went to Mozambique, to Heidi Baker's um, school for missions for three months. And during that time, everything I thought I knew about doing ministry, discipleship was just turned upside down. I mean, how could it not with... Heidi Baker. Uh, But she began teaching the way of the kingdom. Go low, go slow. Stop for the person in front of you. Stop for the one where the other ministry was the opposite of meekness is where I'm going with this. It was was controlling. It was on top. Uh, I didn't give that definition, but the opposite of meekness is self-assertedness, self-interest, Uh, control. So those were the aspects. Well, after Heidi's ministry, after going, Shani had never been to Africa at this point. So after three months in Mozambique or never been to Kenya. So after three months in Mozambique, I I felt like I needed to go back to Kenya because it was a new season. We had just radically been 
shifted in our thinking and understanding of the kingdom and the way of discipleship and ministry. And so I, while I was in Kenya, or while I was in Mozambique and this whole thing got shifted, I texted all my pastors. I was convicted. I had been in relationship with them for about three or four years at this point. I didn't know their wife's name. I didn't know their kid's name. I didn't know anything about them. I'd come in, I'd say, hey, we're doing meetings, this, 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 set this up, be there. And no regard to their culture, no regard to their way of life, understanding that I would set up meetings on days that were their market day, and their market day is how they uh, sell their, their crops to make money to sustain themselves. And I had no understanding and no regard to their culture or their way because I didn't come under, I came up on top with the man of God mentality, so to speak. And that's just what I was under. That's what I learned and knew at the time. Well, after, so after I left that ministry, after Mozambique, Shani and I went to Kenya. So I texted them and I said, hey, cancel all my meetings. I don't want to do any meetings. I'm coming in for a month and I don't want to do any services. I want to sit with you. I want to learn your way of life. I want to learn your culture. I want to get to know your wife and their kids. I want to know what they do in the mornings because you know, we had meetings at per se 9 a.m. church services and uh, under that ministry, you know, either you're on time or you're early. So we'd shut the doors on people and half the time service church was empty. People are standing outside by the windows to hear the... Uh, I didn't understand how much work they had to do. They had to go and fetch water to boil water to just to get things going for the day. So what I'm saying is... Uh, what. Uh, in this context, going to minister in other cultures, we have to learn and understand what, where people are at. So I canceled all my meetings. I said, no, not doing that. I'm coming to sit with you. I'm going to come sit in the dirt and hear stories. I want to get to know you guys. And uh, I'm not staying in a hotel without being a burden. Is there a way for me to stay somewhere with you? Because I left this part out. So out of that big city, this is just over the course. I'm sorry. I'm kind of chopping around it try to condense this, but so that was 2014. So now I had been working in Kenya for four years. And through that time, we had made relationships where people would come into the big city and then go back to their villages. Well, these were the core of my people. These were the people that I really connected with were the ones that were far out in the village. And uh, after I sifted through a lot of stuff, those were the ones that really wanted the word of God and not just the money from America. And um, so they said, yes, it would be an honor to have you in my house. Please, yes, come, bring your wife, come and stay. So from the big city now, so you fly into Nairobi, typically it's about 20 hours from, per se, DFW, two 10-hour, 12-hour flights, depending where you're going, usually a 12-hour layover in the middle. Fly into Nairobi, 8.30 at night, typically. First thing in the morning, catch another flight into Eldoret. It's just about a 45-minute flight. Now you're in Eldoret. Now you figure about three-ish hours on a, a matatu, a little van. Uh, it's like a 12-passenger van, but I've been in them with up to 24 to 26 people in these little vans, not including chickens and other things. Um, so that's about three hours like that to get to, say, Bangoma, main, main city in Bangoma. Then I get on a motorbike for another two hours to get to the foot of the mountain, and then depending where I'm going... I'm either going another hour up the mountain or two or three hours up the mountain, but my main base was one hour up the mountain. 
So that's just to give you a bit of an example. So staying in a hotel is not an option is what I'm trying to say. And so I'd sleep in these guys' houses. And um, I was trying to explain to my daughter Zoe a couple nights ago because she's eager to go to Africa. Shani, if you're watching, which I know you are, your daughter wants to go to Kenya with me. Um, I was trying to explain to her these pastors' houses are smaller than her bedroom. And oftentimes they've got minimum six, usually eight or ten kids, husband and wife, multiple kids. If they have a small calf, they'll bring the calf inside uh, so other animals don't get it. Chickens are always inside. So it's this small room house uh, with all these things. Now these guys give us their only bed so we can sleep in their house with them. And they lay out rice bags and they all sleep on the floor. When I say house, I'm talking dirt walls, mud walls, mud floors. Iron, we'd use them as hurricane shutters per se in Florida, but those are iron sheets for the roof. They give us everything they have and and through the course of time, we built relationship with them and I said, brother, you've been an answer to prayer. We always ask God, how would the foreigners come and minister to us and our families? We don't have the fancy hotels. We don't have the nice restaurants. We don't have the luxuries that they have in the big city. Now, the hotels in the big city are not what you think. They're not the Hilton. They're not the Marriott. Far from it, but they are a step above village life. (laughs) He said, when you came, we've never had white people stay in our houses out here. We've never had foreigners come. And what I'm saying with all of that is by going low and going slow, by putting on meekness to walk with these people, we won them over and they opened up the village to us. We've gone to village chiefs and honored village chiefs with hens and chickens, and they've opened up unreached villages to us. So the inheriting the earth is already and a not yet. I do believe that is a foreshadowing of the already, and I do believe there is inheritance coming that, it, that we haven't yet seen. But what, what, what area of your life do you need to put on meekness? What authority, what sphere of influence has God given you to walk in a level of meekness? Because of what was opened up to us, Shani and I were able to start a primary school where there's typically about 50 or 60 kids a year. So I'd say over the last, we started building that in March of 2017. So that's what, six years say it took less than a year, so about probably five years it's been opened. So, I don't know, 300 kids or so have received elementary education because of that. We've brought jobs through construction, through farming. We've put 10 children through high school, still currently in the process of that, but um, four through college had unreached Villages open, so that unreached village per se, my little, eventually they built me a little house, a little mud house, when, and that was a blessing. But say from that, um, and we've got land and different things, but say from that little house, the unreached village is, I want to say, four to five hours on the motorbike. So it's already rural, rural Kenya. So we would go up to that 
mountain place, and that would be our little kind of rest, recover for a day before we went out into the unreached villages. And we had some partners of our ministry that blessed us, and we were able to buy two motorbikes um, so we could get out there. And it'd be four to five hours, me driving one motorbike, Shawnee on the back, one of our pastors, and another pastor translator on one of the other ones, and then typically would uh, just hire another one to come with us. And we'd all go out into the unreached. And um, one of the times we were out there, the first time we were out there, it's all new territory. I didn't know what to expect. But um, we saw a lot of salvations. I mean, a lot of people that never heard the name, literally never heard the name of Jesus before. Never seen white people before. And we're out there ministering to them. And out there, they don't obviously have the weather channel. They don't have the devices that tell us what the weather is. But those guys can look at the clouds and the way the clouds are coming and they know when rain is coming. They can do it better than any of these news station guys. And so my pastor told me, brother, we need to go. The rain is coming. Now, if that rain comes, so that was before I had the motorbikes. That was our pioneer, our first scouting trip out there. And basically the the village uh, ended, and then it was a 10-kilometer, 6.2-mile walk, essentially, into the Mount Elgon Forest, um, which is where we were, where the people were. Uh, mountain, up and down. So um, if the rain comes, A, motorbikes can't pass, and B, you can't walk, because we have had to walk out of that before. I've, I've walked that six miles before. Um, so if the rain comes, you're stuck. And I had other meetings with pastors and different things set up, so I couldn't get stuck. It was my last day. But I said, we've just ministered to these guys for three days. I can't leave. I can't just leave. We were supposed to have a meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something. That was going to be our final meeting, and then we were going to go. I said, if I just leave, what are, how are they going to feel? They're going to feel rejected. They're going to, I, I my pastor, my regional director says, brother, we need to go. The rain is coming. Please, let's go. Brother, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I need to talk to these people. So we gathered all the people together, and we're just in this field, and all of a sudden, about 50 or 60 kids come running out. just out of nowhere. I mean, there's a little shack over here, but 50 or 60 kids come running out. Um, Matthew, you can probably come on up. And... Uh, so 50 or 60 kids come running out, and everybody's grabbing us. The adults have never seen white people, let alone the kids. And they're all grabbing us and touching our skin and touching our skin. And in the midst of all that, I look down, and there's this lame boy that's kind of getting trampled. Because everybody else, and he's just trying to be like all the other kids. And I'm just trying to tell him, like, hey, we're leaving. We love you guys. We bless you. Let us just pray over you. We will be back. And I'm with one of my brothers, spiritual sons, best friends, all of the above. And he is tenacious. He, he, he's got no concept of time, any time, but especially when we're praying for the sick. And he says, no, no, stop right now. We're praying for him. And he's bold. He's got no, if you want to say bedside manner, he's just... You know, I'm, we're different culture, different people trying to be gentle. 
He just grabs the kid by his shoulders, picks him up, and lays him on his back. What are other people going to think? What are they going to say, you know? Long story short, he goes and he starts praying. He spent about 45 minutes praying. He started with every joint, started with the elbow, the wrist, the other elbow, the other wrist, went down to the hips, the knees. And he's just in it. He's just praying. He's just praying. He's praying one one joint at a time, one joint at a time, breaking off curses, speaking healing, speaking life, declaring restoration. He says, where's this boy's mom? Because now we got a crowd. We're trying to get out of there. The rain's coming. Clouds are coming in. Now we got a crowd. Now the village is coming out to see what is going on. These were the people we were supposed to be preaching to that afternoon. So my brother Duke, he says, where's this boy's mom? She's not here. So he just looked up and said, you, you walk in the authority of his mom. At the count of three, you call his name. You stand back at the door, per se, 50 yards away. This boy's never walked. I mean, he's walked, but severely deformed. He says, on the count of three, I'm going to say in the name of Jesus, you get up and run to that woman. Sure enough, in the name of Jesus, the boy gets up, starts running. The woman starts running backwards. Ran about 150 yards. So now we got everybody's attention. I said, this is the Jesus that you just gave your life to. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. Now we bless you and we need to go before this rain comes. Literally. I mean, it was literally like that. Maybe a minute or two longer, but not much more. Shani was already gone on the motorbike with the translator. I was with my region and one of my pastors. I was with my regional director and Duke. And we had, so my wife was already long gone. And we had a six mile walk through the mountains, through the village, or through the, through the forest, Mount Elgon Forest, to get back to the village to where we could finally hire a motorbike to go. Because nobody wants to come out to the, it's a long drive if you don't have somebody on the back of your motorbike. So they're not coming unless somebody's coming out. So we had to walk out. So we bless them. We're leaving. I must have got 10 or 15 steps and somebody grabs my shoulder and pulls me back. Yes. He's been watching all these meetings. He's been listening. This is the village, village drunkard. He's known this boy since birth. He says, your God is real and he wants to give his life to him. And we prayed for that boy, that young man to receive Christ. The way of meekness will open up doors, will give you spheres and levels of authority here on earth, but more importantly in the life to come. The way I'd like to close this service, I'm not looking for emotion. I'm not looking for anything other than a heart change. I think if we were to take a minute and search our hearts, let's just take a minute and get quiet. We'll do that. We'll do an activation. Let's just take a minute and get quiet.
Silence your thoughts. Silence the busyness. I want you to put your eyes on Jesus. Picture him on the cross. Looking at the Father. Saying, if there is any other way, let this cup pass. Sweating blood, hanging on the cross for your and my sin and iniquity. If there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will. Not my will. I want you to ask the Lord, what is just one area of your life right now in this season? You can do the same thing later at home about other things, but ask the Lord right now in your life, in this season, what is something that you have been controlling or trying to control? is something that you've in a sense been kicking against submitting to God's plan and God's will this is the work part getting raw getting real softening your heart and allowing the Lord to touch it allowing him to say my son my daughter. I'm glad that you've taken this time. There's something that I've been wanting to talk about. He's gentle. He's loving. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's just been waiting. is the area that you have been holding on to trying to do your own thing it may have felt that you're I think this word came out recently but it may have felt like you've got concrete on your ankles or you're walking through thick mud and muck I feel like the Lord is saying it's because you've been going your own way Will you surrender? Will you let go of your plan and your will controlling the situation and the circumstance and even the outcome? And trust me. Even if it doesn't look like you think. Will you surrender? Will you submit 
and make me the Lord of your life in that area. this in your hearts quietly out loud if you want to if if it bears truth and witness to you but this is my prayer of repentance Father I ask that you forgive me for going my own way I repent I repent for not trusting in you fully not surrendering to you fully recognize by me doing it my way it's a lack of trust it's pride and I surrender to you Father I will go where you tell me to go I will do what you tell me to do stay where you tell me to stay. You are my Lord. I am surrendered to you. And Father, I acknowledge your plan has been much better than mine. Your will has been much better than mine. rejoice I rejoice in living and walking in the unknown walking in a place of relationship and intimacy with you where I must fully depend on you every day thank you Lord amen y'all but it's worth it it's worth it I don't want to go through life get to the end of my life above ground so to speak and realize that I just floated by I didn't put in the time and energy and effort to become everything that he's called me to be fully surrendered. I believe that's our assignment for this week and really till he comes back. Just to be aware, the meek shall inherit the earth. There is an inheritance waiting for you. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.